Hi, I'm David Zichterman, the pastor of Emden CRC. Today I'll be looking at Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16, and Lord's Day 24 from the Heidelberg Catechism. First, this reading from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 20. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About the third hour he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, You also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did the same thing. About the eleventh hour he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, Why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, You also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foremen, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about the eleventh hour came, and each received a denarius. So when those who came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, Friend, I am not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired less the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. And now these question and answers from Lord's Day 24 from the Heidelberg Catechism. Why can't the good we do make us right with God? or at least help make us right with them. Because the righteousness which can pass God's scrutiny must be entirely perfect and must in every way measure up to the divine law. Even the very best we do in this life is imperfect and stained with sin. How can you say that the good we do doesn't earn anything when God promises to reward it in this life and the next? This reward is not earned. It is a gift of grace. But doesn't this teaching make people indifferent and wicked? No, it is impossible for those grafted into Christ by true faith not to produce fruits of gratitude. One of my favorite movies is Field of Dreams, and it has given me another sermon illustration. In that movie, Ray, a farmer in Iowa, begins to hear voices like, if you build it, he will come and ease his pain and go the distance. These voices that Ray hears periodically throughout the film send him on a quest to find out what they mean. First, he is convinced he has to build a baseball field in the middle of his corn. His neighbors think he is crazy as he plows under his corn and puts in its place a baseball field. 
But this is rewarded when ghosts from baseball pass visit the field at night and begin to play ball. When he hears another voice, he goes on a cross-country trip to track down a man by the name of Terrence Mann. After convincing Terrence to come back to Iowa with him, Terrence is amazed by what he sees. He also sees the ghosts of baseball past and gives perhaps one of the most inspiring speeches on baseball I have ever heard. The one constant through all the years, Ray, has been baseball. America has rolled by like an army of steamrollers. It has been erased like a blackboard, rebuilt and erased again. But baseball has marked the time. Shortly after this speech, one of the ghosts invite him to come out into the cornfield. Ray assumes the ghost is speaking to him, but the ghost corrects him. Not you, Ray, him, he says, pointing his finger at Terrence. Ray is upset and raises his voice for one of the first times in the movie. I did it all, Ray says. I listened to the voices, I did what they told me, and not once did I ask what's in it for me. The ghost stares at him, then asks, what are you saying, Ray? Ray responds, I'm saying, what's in it for me? Ray did all this work. He destroyed half of his crop, built a baseball field, battled with bankers, traveled across country to find Terrence, and then when Ray is expecting to get his reward, the latecomer, Terrence, gets picked to go with the ghosts. How is this fair, he wonders. Where is my reward? Ray is upset and frustrated to learn the last will be first and the first will be last. The Field of Dreams story helps us understand the parable told by Jesus. Ray asks, in essence, why didn't all my hard work not earn me anything? The hardworking laborers who worked all day will also ask, essentially, echoing the catechism, how can our good works be said to merit nothing? Why didn't all our hard work get us a better reward than the latecomers who hardly worked at all? The parable is set in the context of Jesus rebuking the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler came to Jesus and asked what he must do to inherit eternal life. Jesus tells him to keep the commandments, sell his possessions, and follow him. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Observing this, Peter then brought to Jesus' attention the disciples' sacrifices. We have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? asked Peter. A question not all that different from Ray's question, what's in it for me? Jesus responds at first very kindly and patiently. He tells Peter they will indeed be rewarded for what they have done. But then Jesus goes on to tell his parable of the workers in the vineyard, as if to say, this reward is not something that you earn. It is a gift of grace. The parable begins as many parables begin with, for the kingdom of heaven is like. Parables are stories that help us imagine life inside God's kingdom. They are God's picture book to a confused world that only knows the language of sin. This parable begins with a landlord who goes out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. 
he agrees to pay these early morning workers a denarius for the day. A denarius is a generous day's pay, and I don't know what the average pay is for paying someone to walk your fields and pick rocks, but it would be like offering someone to do that work for $200. It's a generous day's pay. His workers agreed to this amount and went into the vineyard. But the harvest was plentiful and the workers were too few. So the landlord went out again at nine in the morning to the marketplace. There he found some others standing around with nothing to do. He told them, come work in my vineyard today and I will pay you whatever is right. They agreed to these terms and went to work. But this raises a question and some tension to the story. By saying that he will pay whatever is right, he is saying he will pay a fair wage. But what is a fair wage in this context? Even with these extra laborers in his vineyard, the harvest was still plentiful and the workers were too few. The landowner went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and invited still more people to work in his vineyard. About five in the afternoon, he went out yet again and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? I wish I could hear the tone of that question. My first impression is to hear the question asked accusingly like, why are you bums standing around here still? Stop being so lazy and get to work. But our Heavenly Father is far more compassionate than me, and I think a different tone is required, something more sympathetic. This part of the parable always reminds me of images from the Great Depression, where men crowd in front of businesses, hoping that they would be picked for work that day. So read in that light, I think the landowner's question would sound more like this. Have you not been able to find work, even after all this time? Just how bad is it out there? From the historical data I've read, it was bad to be a day laborer during Jesus' time. It meant hunger, poverty, being always on the move, and lots of uncertainty, not unlike, migrant work, not unlike what migrant workers face today. Like on this day depicted in the parable, it meant standing in the marketplace waiting for a job that didn't exist. The landowner had compassion on them. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The landlord had only promised to pay those who were hired late what was right and fair. They certainly don't expect to receive much and neither do we expect them to receive much either. But God, who said, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, doesn't pay merely what is fair to those hired late. He goes beyond fair and gives generously, graciously. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius, a full day's wage, amazing grace. Martin Luther states that what this parable teaches us is that God does not want to deal with us according to work, according to our deserving, but according to grace. But now the problem. When those who were hired first came, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received only a denarius, 
and they were not happy. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and heat of the day. God's grace doesn't seem fair or right. It just seems like bad math. I instinctively feel sorry for those who worked all day. They should get more, shouldn't they? I would be annoyed if I was one of those who toiled away all day in the hot sun. It can be tempting to grumble at the Lord's generosity toward others. The play Amadeus illustrates this. In this play, the composer Antonio Celery recounts his life. He recalls his early admiration for the composer Mozart. He loved Mozart's music and longed to meet him. So Celery is thrilled when he finally gets to meet Mozart at a local salon where Mozart's music would be played. But his encounter with Mozart was a great disappointment. When Celery meets Mozart, Mozart is acting like an immature teenager, engaging in embarrassing and profane talk. Celery is infuriated that God would give such incredible musical gifts to someone like Mozart. Why would God give such musical genius to Mozart, whose behavior was rude and mean, rather than himself, he wondered, who was kind and dignified and perhaps more deserving? It's the scandal of God's grace. God showers his grace on the undeserving. But then again, that's what grace is. Philip Yancey, in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, commenting on this parable, says, Jesus' parable of the workers in the vineyard and their grossly unfair paychecks confronts the scandal of grace head-on. In a contemporary Jewish version of this story, the workers hired late in the afternoon work so hard that the employer, impressed, decides to award them a full day's wages. Not so in Jesus' version, which doesn't say anything about the work ethic of any of the workers. The wages are given without consideration of work ethic or time worked. Jesus' story makes no economic sense, and that's and that was his intent. He was giving us a parable about grace, which cannot be calculated like a day's wages. Grace is not about finishing last or first. It is about not counting. We receive grace as a gift from God, not as something we toil to earn a point that Jesus made clear through the landowner's response. Friends, I am not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? To expand that thought, this would be like God saying to Celery, are you envious because I am so generous to Mozart? The employer in Jesus' story did not cheat the full day's workers by paying everyone for one hour's work instead of 12. No, the full day workers got what they were promised. Their discontent arose from the scandalous mathematics of grace. They couldn't accept that their employer had the right to do what he wanted with his money when it meant paying latecomers 12 times what they deserved. Significantly, many Christians who study this parable identify with the employees who put in a full day's work rather than the add-ons at the end of the day. 
We like to think of ourselves as responsible workers, and the employer's strange behavior baffles us as it did the original hearers. We risk missing the story's point, that God dispenses gifts, not wages. None of us gets paid according to merit, for none of us comes close to satisfying God's requirement for a perfect life. If paid on the basis of fairness, we would all end up in hell. As question and answer 62 of the Catechism puts it, why can't the good we do make us right with God, or at least help make us right with him? Because the righteousness which can pass God's scrutiny must be entirely perfect and must in every way measure up to the divine law. Even the very best we do in this life is imperfect and stained with sin. We are saved by God's scandalous grace and grace alone, grace made available through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. By grace, we are forgiven. By grace, we are made workers and witnesses of God's coming kingdom. By grace, we shall receive white robes and wave palm branches and praise God forever when Christ comes again. It's grace, all grace, God's scandalous grace. Grace, Philip Yancey states, means there is nothing we can do to make God love us more, no amount of spiritual calisthenics or renunciations, no amount of knowledge gained from seminaries and divinity schools, no amount of crusading on behalf of righteous causes. And grace means there is nothing we can do to make God love us less, no amount of racism or pride or pornography or adultery or even murder. Grace means that God already loves us as much as an infinite God can possibly love. But that raises another question. If I can't make God love me more, but I also can't make God love me less by what I do, doesn't this teaching make people indifferent and wicked? No, responds the Catechism. It is impossible for those grafted into Christ by true faith not to produce fruits of gratitude. A biblical image uh, picked up from John chapter 15 and Romans chapter 11. Grafting, remarks Neil Planinga in his book, Deep Down Faith, from which I paraphrase, is one of the most wonderful possibilities in creation. Perhaps most common of all grafts are those that people perform on plants. The process goes like this. A person slices a twig from one tree and carries it to another. There he cuts a V-notch that can receive the new twig. The twig is then inserted into the notch and sealed with grafting tape to hold the graft securely and to keep out diseases. The place where the graft takes place will always be a little knobby and funny looking, but if the graft takes, nourishing sap will flow from the tree to the new branch. The Catechism states that we can be grafted into Christ. When this occurs, our sins are forgiven and Christ's righteousness flows into us like sap from the tree to the branch. The grafting tape that holds us into Christ isn't our good works, hard effort, or long years of labor working for Christ's harvest. It is faith, and faith itself is a gift from God, a gift of God's grace. Just like in a tree graft, new fruit will begin to grow on the new branch, so when we are grafted into Christ, the fruit of the Spirit will begin to show in our lives. Jesus is the vine, and we are the branches. By remaining in Christ through faith, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control will begin to show. 
These are our fruits of gratitude. These are what give glory to God. The Westminster Shorter Catechism begins, What is man's primary purpose? Man's primary purpose is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. When Ray wasn't picked to go into the field of dreams, he grumbled and asked, What's in it for me? Peter asked, We have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? The answer turns out, a life lived for the glory of God, a life that achieves its purpose, its goal, its end, that can rest in God's grace and the comfort of belonging body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, a life that is content with gratitude. Amen. Thanks for listening. Next week, I'll be looking at a passage from 1 John chapter 3 and Lord's Day 32 from the Heidelberg Catechism. Thanks. Bye.